Welcome back to Success and More Interesting Stuff. Rob Milner carries a heavy load. He is only the fourth Milner to run investment giant Washington H. Sol Pattinson in over 100 years. He is acutely aware of the importance of his family and what they have built over many decades. So far, so good. Very good. Since taking the reins as chairman in 1998, Milner has presided over a tenfold increase in the Solpat share price and 20 years of increased dividends. In fact, Solpats has the longest track record of increasing dividends on the ASX. Milner succeeded his famous uncle, Jim Milner. Jim had been a prisoner of war in Singapore. Hardened by his experience, he went about changing the face of Solpats from a modest retail pharmacy business into an investment powerhouse. In fact, by the time Jim had retired from the chairmanship, the business resembled a mini Berkshire Hathaway with large investments in coal, building materials, listed investment companies and television. Rob, despite spending his formative years on the family farm in Cowan, New South Wales, was picked as his successor. After more than a decade working inside the investment empire, Rob took over as chairman and started to leave his own mark on the corporate icon. He famously parlayed the group's television spectrum into telecommunications on the back of industry deregulation. Not long after, he teamed up with David Teo at TPG and the pair went about growing a multi-billion dollar internet business that delivered hefty rewards for sole patch shareholders. More recently, Rob ticked off on another major acquisition and development for the company with a takeover of enlisted investment company Milton. This is the next platform for growth as sole patch cements the company as the Berkshire Hathaway of the Southern Hemisphere. I first met Rob in 2003 when we interviewed him and his uncle Jim for the book Masters of the Market. Hi, Rob. Great to catch up after all these years. Good to see you. Yeah, it was a, it was a great uh, time with your uncle Jim yeah. out of Woolwich or yeah. Greenwich? Uh, Woolwich, Woolwich, was it? Woolwich. In the big sandstone yeah. home. Yeah. And I remember he positioned himself down and he had this big house <laughs> and he <just laughs> sat in the kitchen by himself looking at his shares and reading stuff. Yeah. No, he was a great man. He was one of those, a generation that went through depression and, as you said, prisoner of war and all, also Second World War. You know, they were hard and tough people that didn't suffer fools. And in those days, you could get on, on with business. If you didn't like someone, you'd sack them. And that, was, that was a fact of life. And, the, and the, the AGMs used to go for about 10 minutes. And, but, you know, he, well, his uncle, Fred Patterson, who was the chairman before him, and he was the son of old Louis Patterson, who first started up Soul Pats. There's been three wonderful men before me, and I've just been lucky I've been able to s- fill their shoes. We all, they left a terrific legacy. And no doubt you learn a lot off Jim. I remember sitting with him and he wasn't too verbose in those days. He was pretty limited on, on his words, but he had some pretty simple rules around investing. Always have a little bit of cash, always buy when things are bad, look after it and sell when things look expensive. It all sounds pretty simple, but really hard to do. But when I look at your style and your AGMs and uh, I mean your annual reports and at your AGM, you keep articulating the same kind of message all these years later. Yeah, well, it's a simple, pretty simple rule, you know, always have cash. And I, you know, go back to the GFC. Most of your listeners will, will remember that period of time. We bought Macquarie Bank for fourteen dollars, Commonwealth Bank for twenty-seven dollars, fourteen cents for TPG. You know, Macquarie, fourteen cents. Yeah, Macquarie Bank's now two hundred dollars, and Commonwealth Bank at twenty-seven dollars. I think we worked out the other day that we've got more than twenty-seven dollars in dividends since that time out of Commonwealth Bank, and they're one hundred and ten or twelve dollars or something. Amazing stuff. <laughs> so yeah. you've got to be able to move when, unfortunately, when others are suffering, you know, if you've got cash, you can move pretty quickly. The few downturns I've ever seen, you think that everyone will buy when it's down, but they're always putting out their own fire in their own backyard and they need the money. 
So it's interesting. Everyone says they've got cash, but it's not always there. And the recent period we've been in with the low interest rates have been a completely different period that any of us have ever experienced before. Genuinely, we've had interest rates. A lot of people have been paying 8 or 10 or 12% or even higher. So, you know, if you are in some sort of trouble and you've got to pay that sort of interest rate on top of what you're already going through, it makes it very difficult. Very difficult. Now, we're going to go back first before we get all to the good stuff of today. You left school and you went and became a stockbroker. Yeah. Were, were you good at that? Because it didn't last that long. <laughs> the day after I did my last HSC, I, I started work with a company called E.E. Balterson Company. They're not around anymore. No, no. He was a Swiss guy who picked gold in those days. This is 1960, late 68, early 69. And um, I started there and I worked there for about 15 months and I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it because it was in the boom, the Poseidon Tasman oh, okay. X boom. So yep. there was plenty of action and- and is that the biggest boom you've ever seen? Because a lot of people got rich off the side, and that's what yeah, it was, people it forget. Was, you've, got to remember going, you've got to remember going back in those days, there weren't the regulations that we had now. There was a lot of insider trading and the geologists would, would ring up results and you know, <laughs> there was a lot of shenanigans going on and, and you could virtually set the, uh, the market price at five minutes to four every afternoon. You know, people made a lot of money, but they made some wonderful discoveries in the ta- Tasman X and Poseidon and – Sounds like, it start- sounds like cryptocurrencies yeah. these days. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's what really started Sol Pattinson onto a, onto a, a new direction. Was we, as you mentioned in your in your prelude, there we virtually started as a pharmaceutical company, and then in the late fifties, early sixties, Jim was invited to sit on the board of Australian Oil and Gas, which in those days was the biggest mining company in Australia, bigger than BHP. And on that board was a guy called Professor Eric Rudd who was a geologist and regarded as probably one of the better geologists in Australia. And they flew all around Australia and plus New Guinea and Fiji, and they put two and two together. There was going to be a mining boom. So Soles and, and the Milner family bought up a lot of Western mining, Cleveland tin, Emperor Mines, Pico Walls in. That was a real start of the next leg into the, into the Soles empire. That flexibility of people running companies, you wouldn't get away with that today if, no. you're, if you're a little retail business, or not little, but – reasonably small in the big scheme of things and all of a sudden you're you're investing in mining companies well there's only a few of us we're a bit of an exception west farmers is probably the same sort of company as we are and i think unfortunately in this day and age you get criticized if you're different you know a lot of people criticize us and well and west farmers as well you know did they sell sell out of coals at the right time have they done this or have they done that it's, it's very easy for people to criticize but both companies have probably outperformed nearly every other company in the on, De- on delivered the market. enormous oh. value to their shareholders and we, we had a sales board meeting yesterday and i was only we're only talking about we're now in a top, about top 40 company in australia but nearly all the companies in front of us have gone broke BHP, <laughs> Westpac, CSR and Boral in our building days, they were, they were in the top 10 companies in Australia. No, it's, it's been an incredible. And these two companies have been able to keep going and grow. Yep, keeping on and yeah. on, which is terrific. So you left Stockbroke and you went back to Cowra. I went back to the property, yeah. Why was that? You just love farming? Well, I went, to, I went to boarding school when I was eight. So, right. I, you know, coming home on holidays, and in those days it was three-term year. Yep. So you were away for 14 or 15 weeks at a time. And I just had an urge for it. I stayed there till late 83, early 84, and then in those days you were invited to join a board. You, were, you didn't go through the process. You go now with headhunters and looking for people. People asked you to join a board and Jim asked me would I like to go on the board and I accepted, yeah. So just going back to the farm, farming's a tough business. I, I know you love it yeah. and you still spend time down at Cowra. What did you learn about business on the farm? Because there were some 
in that period you're talking about, if my memory serves me, there were some hard times, but then the drought broke just as you were leaving. In 83, the Hawke government came in, it rained, things turned, but it was very tough before that. Well, well most, of, most of my generation growing up didn't have a lot of money. And commodity prices rurally in the 70s were very, cattle worth $30. You know, we sold bullocks the other day for $3,300. You know, there, there, <laughs> there wasn't much money and we didn't have the equipment. You know, it was, you sat on a tractor with no cabin and yep. these sorts of things. But, you know, it was a good lifestyle. I don't, you know, with some of my best mates are still the guys I grew up with in Cowra. And I think that sustains, even though agriculture has become a lot more professional, oh, yeah. but people still like the lifestyle, the freedom of it, yeah, I gather. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't like to, to say this, but, you know, the, the, most of the people in the bush are genuine people. You know, they're not trying to show you how big their boat is or how big their house is. Or no, they're pretty cetera. modest yeah. anyway. Yeah, they're hardworking people that get on with life. And-, and did you know that you would go to Salt Pats? Were you close to your uncle? This is why you're out in the farm and, and you're, you're farming and, and obviously your uncle's building quite a big business based in the city. Yeah. Did you know that was going to happen? Did you have an inkling or that's what you wanted to well, do? Well, I know I'd been brought up with shares and we'd had family meetings. We used to go to Canberra every year and have a family meeting. So I knew what was going on business-wise and, and um, share market-wise, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I knew that part of the, the business. In those days, Soles was a hell of a lot smaller than what it is today. There was virtually the, um, the cross-shareholding and brickworks. And New Hope was very, very early investment. And it was basically just pharmaceutical business. So you came from the farm. You got invited onto the board yeah, yeah. of Sol Pats, yeah. which you went on to. Yeah. Then you moved to Sydney at the time? No, I didn't. I used to get the plane down or I'd drive. And then obviously in that period after I joined, New Hope took off. We went to Indonesia and started a mine called the Adaro Mine, which we sold in the middle 90s. It was doing 25 million tonne of coal when we sold it. So we started that, built a coal loader, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that took a lot of our time. We'd end up going up there two or three times a year. So as a board member, you were involved a lot in the oh, operations. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Souls Souls has always been very hand-on. And that, that was quite brave at that stage. Indonesia, there were obviously some Australian companies there, but they were the big companies. Yeah. And Sol Pats, as you said, was just emerging, went up to Indonesia. It was pretty brave type of stuff. Well, a chap called Frank Robertson, who used to be with Patrick Partners in stockbroking business, and him and Jim were good mates. And his son, Graham, went up to Indonesia and married the Sultan of uh, Carter's granddaughter. So that enabled us to do things that you probably wouldn't normally do. And there's no way we could have done now what we did up there. There was, you know, a lot of 25,000 US dollars and things like that to get to the next stage. And I think that's probably why you don't see a lot of um, companies now, Australian companies now going into those sort of places. And we're even experiencing it now with some of those companies in, in New Guinea struggling with, you know, yeah. So with that period in 84 through to the 98, you obviously became more senior as time went on. Did you get a lot of exposure to Jim and what he was doing? Yeah. Because he, yeah. he was the boss. Yeah. He was pulling the reins. And what, what did you learn from him? Well, obviously, I stayed there quite often. Well, yeah, as I said, he was a very, very astute man, knew what was going on. He was a pharmacist, obviously, by, by trade. He came back. He didn't finish the um, degree but when war came, so he came back and, and did that. But I think that experience he had with AAG gave him a great interest, insight to what happened in Australia as far as mining and he'd always, and his uncle Fred, who was a chairman before, that Souls had always had a port, share portfolio. So, yeah. yeah. 
So they always like to market, it seems like. Yeah, and also in that period, there were no Coles or Woolworths, and Soles was the first one to have baskets outside our shops. And we used to put Omo in there or salmon. As we were the first discounters in Australia. And also in the pharmaceutical, we had our own wholesaling, manufacturing and retail. So we were by far the biggest pharmaceutical operation in New South Wales. Yeah, and the one big regret I remember talking to Jim was that he never went full blow into supermarkets. Yeah. He thought he'd missed that opportunity, which was true, but he had a lot of other opportunities, which I suppose some things fall your way and some things don't. Yeah. And uh, yeah, looking back with, with with the size of these companies now, I don't know whether Souls would have ever been able to do it or not because they're, they're massive organisations now, the, the Coles and the Woolworths. But there's no doubt it changed the way people live and shop now that the, the old strip centres are It's changing all gone. again as we speak, yeah. yeah. So take us into the Milner psyche. Your Uncle Jim was in charge for a long time. Yeah. 1998 comes, you come in as chairman, you've been on the board for a long time, seems sensible. But did the, did the Milners always think, or the Patents and Milners, did they always think that it was to be handed on to the next generation of the family, even though it was a publicly listed company? And did you feel that way when no, you were on the board? No, no, no. I don't think there was any hard and fast rules. But obviously I'd done my groundwork there and, and it wasn't only Jim, it was Hugh Dixon who was also on the board. You know, other members of the board thought that I was able to, to take the load on and and continue on. And I had a great education about three or four months after I'd taken over as chairman. I got a phone call from Sir Ron Brearley. I nearly died, of course, you know, just been in the job for a couple of months. And Famous corporate raider <laughs> yeah, at the time. Yeah. Well, it was in that era of John Elliott and Holmes Accord and anyway. Well, all those guys were still fresh in our minds. Yeah, yeah. And today we don't really hear about it as much, these raiders. But then it was the back end of what they were doing, wasn't it? It was still alive. And again, there's no way those guys could have operated today the way they did in those days. There was a lot of insider trading in shares. And, and it was very aggressive. Yeah. And yeah. what did Ron say on that phone call, do well, you he remember? Said, we're going to come and take Brickworks over. So fortunately, we had a guy called David Fairfall who's, who was on the sole patents and board. And he um, was an investment banker. He started with Climate Benson. So I got him involved. And then he said, he, he said, I think I know the bloke that we can – help fight this case is a guy called Jeff Hill because Jeff had done quite a bit of work for Saron. <laughs> oh, right. Because <laughs> I, I know he, he worked with Spalvins yeah, yeah. out of Adelaide, but he was I didn't know he worked for Saron. And he knew how all these guys operated. Saron so called a meeting in our office. An EGM? No, no, just a meeting. Oh, of you and yeah, him. To tell us what he was going to do. And Gary Weiss came with him, of course. And how were you feeling? Were you nervous? I was nervous as buggery. <laughs> I, was just, I, I, could, I could have said something else, but yeah, I, I, was, I was very nervous. Jeff Hill said, well, Sir Ron has called the meeting, so we just sit here and wait till he says something. So the Bradman Trust put 100 photos of Sir Donald Bradman, and we had one. We, we'd never done much corporately. So we bought one of these. So I sat him down underneath because Sir Ron was a mad cricket fan. So we sat there for a quarter of an hour before Sir Ron said something. 15 minutes standoff. <laughs> well, he called the meeting. Jeff said he's called the meeting. Just wait till he says something. So that, to me, that was one of the greatest experiences. I and That really sort of hardened me up and toughened me up and thought, shit, you know. It's real. Yeah. Like, and, and why do you think he just sat there? Was he trying to scare you, trying to freeze you out? I don't know. See if you'd break, say something silly? Yeah, well, I suppose. Yeah. And again, luckily we'd had someone who'd been in this environment to telling me, telling me what to do. And finished the meeting, how did it end up? What happened? 
Oh, he just told us what he was going to do. He was going to take Brickworks over. After it all happened, everybody said he probably should have had a go at Souls. But anyway, that's another that's another and, story. And, and was that where the cross shareholding yeah. came from? Yeah. In a defence mechanism against no, no, the cross shareholding or, or was already there? Yeah, the cross shareholding was already there. A and guy, he wanted to unwind it. Yeah. A guy called Bill Dawes at the same period of time we were talking about with the John Elliotts and Holmes of Courts, et cetera, et cetera, he had brickworks. And he was worried that something was going to happen. So him and Jim met up somewhere and that's how they put the two together. Right. Yeah. Then then we'll keep going on, on the cross-shareholding scenario because it's been in Salt Pat's current history. still got then, it. And, yeah. and you've still got it, but yeah. you had the big run with Perpetual, yeah. which was yeah. quite public. Yeah. Quite bruising. Yeah. Because there was a lot yeah, of legal they, action. They planted guys around the place that kept throwing stones at us and writing these ridiculous articles. And Anyway, we ended up in the court of law and they got absolutely thrashed. Yeah. Yeah. We know why the cross-shareholding came about. You just told us there was some people, your uncle and, and the other gentleman who were a bit scared. Why is it still relevant today and why do you like having it? I don't say why we like having it. It's been a very good business for both Souls and Brickworks, particularly probably, I think probably more so for Brickworks because in the building industry you get peaks and troughs. With the Souls dividend that's paid twice a year to Brickworks, Brickworks have been able to produce steady and increasing dividends, mm. even while the um, building products have, got, have gone in some of these troughs that they've had. It, it gets the advantage of the diversification yeah, through the salt yeah, pats. Yeah. And, and again, for souls, which we'll probably touch on going forward, but it's one of our major investments and it's been a good investment for us. Yeah, and that sticking with Brickworks, Lindsay Partridge has run it for many years and I know you're close to Lindsay, but the amazing thing about Brickworks is now it's – mainly a property company, and they've set up this trust and it's been a, an unbelievable performer and taken advantage of the property boom we've all gone through. It's been quite amazing, hasn't yeah. it? Well, going back 20-odd years ago, Bill Dawes, who I just mentioned, who was, who was the founder of Brickworks, bought 1,200 acres out there. And obviously, you've always moved. When you say out there. I mean, well, on Wargrave Road. In Western Sydney. Western Sydney. And when you go back, I'll just go back a step. The first brickworks in Sydney was at St Peter's. Yep. So obviously over time, land and buildings encroach on the on the brickworks and they're not the best thing to have in your backyard. And we've also over the years, brickworks had, a, a, had plants at um, Brookvale, plants at Eastwood, which we've had to close, one at Scoresby in, in, in Melbourne because it encroaches, you know, the environment encroaches and it's not a good place. And, and then all of a sudden the, the land is too valuable to make bricks on. So anyway, old Bill Dawes had this great vision and 25 years ago, if this was this morning, you'd probably hear on the traffic report there were some cows out in the road at Walgrove Road. <laughs> now we used to save, I think it was $180,000 a year by running cattle out there. Yeah. And the, as and you, I think you still do that with your coal assets. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the way, as you said, I don't think anyone could have envisioned in 25 years how this trust has grown. And Lindsay and I said, Every time we sell a parcel of land, we're not going to pay a special dividend and give it back to the shareholders. Why don't we put this into this trust? But looking back 20, 25 years ago, none of us would have envisaged the, the growth of this. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's the likes of Salt Pats and Brickworks, Harvey Norman and others yeah. who like to own the hard assets, the property. But the trend over the years is don't own the hard assets because you type too much capital. Have you got a view on that? Have people been wrong on that and and it's always better to be your own landlord, own the asset underneath because over time that's always going to be valuable? Do you think like that? I think so. I think that's the way to go. If, you, if you're able to do it financially, looking back 25 years ago, that land's a couple of million dollars an acre. Like, 
Who would have envisaged that? And that's enabled us. I remember we went down a barrel eight or ten years ago, paid thirty thousand dollars an acre at barrel. And people now? thought people thought we were mad, but we were getting a million dollars for our land at Wargrove. Yeah. Because we have a we have a brick operation at Barrel and it's getting very tired and so we, we, we needed to buy some clay for the future development down there. Yeah, it's it's been terrific. And now you've got Amazon as a tenant. Yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. would have thought that? The and world's co- biggest or second biggest company in the world, you you tenant. Well actually Coles was big, building a bigger setup, but it's just well, see, so you can no longer take a B double down Parramatta Road, for example, and these trucks cost so much to run. You pull them in, unload them, load them up again, and they go back to Brisbane. You know, they just they don't stop. I wonder, twenty five years ago or thirty years ago, when they were buying those assets, they thought, well, the world will move to online. <laughs> <laughs> we'll need factories and we'll need trucks. Oh, You've got to buy this land. Yeah. Do you think that was the conversation? Well, we've, we've seen a, an unbelievable change in the way the world's. I, I go back to when Commonwealth Bank and CSL floated. In the 80s, you look at CSL, $310 or something, they split the shares. They were $4 or something, $3.70. Commonwealth Bank was two instalments, about $6 or $7, weren't they? As I said, they're $110. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Like, who would have thought? And a house at Mossman, what it's worth now? Yeah. And what my rural properties are worth. It's, just, it's the whole thing. Staggering. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And the people who have owned the assets over time yeah. have been the winners, haven't they? And you'd be dealing with those people and a lot of employees. So it's quite interesting how the world's going. It'll be interesting to see if it reverts back. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll tell that over time, but hard to pick. So you told us about coming in. One thing I've noticed, and, and when I've spoken to you in the past and I've listened to interviews, and I started the introduction, the legacy of your family and running the company as the chair weighs pretty heavily. I'm not saying it keeps you up at night, but there's a great acknowledgement that not on my watch is anything going wrong. How do you feel about that? I've always had it at the back of my mind that I don't want to be one that blows the place up. But again, I think the reason that Soul Pats and Brickworks and TPG and New Hope have been so successful, we've had an ability to, to pick and attract good people to come and run our operations. So we've got, we've, we've grown a bit in the last eight or nine months, but we only had 10 or 12 people up at Souls. So I couldn't send Todd Barlow out to run a brick operation or <laughs> something if, if, if it went wrong. So I think we've had over the, a period of time the ability to pick very good people to run our businesses. And I think that's been the strength of our success. Yep. And just going back to that position, you 10 times your money since you've come in. And we've talked about asset inflation and being in the right space, but generally good decisions. Over time, measured decisions. If the next twenty-two years was another ten times, you'd be a hundred billion dollar <laughs> oh, company. Oh, well. It's quite amazing though when you look at it yeah, that way. Yeah, oh yeah, it's been incredible. But you know, we've made mistakes. Every investment we made hasn't hasn't turned out to be you know. What What's your worst? Let's get that out of the way. We went into a company called Balfour's. Anyone in South Australia listening to this would know it's the biggest uh, meat pies and cakes and. If you look at the uh, signage on the Adelaide Oval, there's always Balfour signs. And anyway, we, we went into that again. I don't know whether it was a bit of a legacy from, as you mentioned before, about being a Coles or a Woolies. We struggled in that. We didn't have good people running it. And we ran into the powerhouse of the Woolworths and the Coles of, you know, being a supplier to them. So that, that, that's by far our worst investment. And we all learn lessons no matter how old we are and how many, how many years. <laughs> what, what lessons did you learn out of that? Um, Diversity of customers. Yes, and I think, again, it was badly managed. We certainly wouldn't have had the losses that we had if we had better management, but it's very difficult and it's not as bad these days, but most people that are supplies, the coals are more worse. And what do you think you lost on that? Can you 
quantify it for us? I can't remember now, but you it was, it was, it was, no, 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 it was, it was quite a bit of money. Yeah. So let's go to a really good one. You, you bought, I think, off Kevin Parry, if I remember correctly, an old entrepreneur from the 80s. You bought Newcastle 9, and that was great for a couple of reasons. One, it was a very good asset in the, in the 80s and 90s as a television network, but it also had access to Spectrum, which my recollection is how you worked your way into the telecommunications market, which at first that didn't work either. I remember uh, Michael Simmons was running it and it was kind of tough going, but then you, you found David Teo and you, you married the companies up and off she went. Do you want to talk a bit about what you saw there? The initial investment ended a lot different to what it is today from what you started as. Well, you mentioned Kevin Parry, but that was in the same time as, as um, Christopher Scase. Uh, had Channel 7 and Alan Bond had bought Channel 9 from the Packer family. And Frank Lowy took 10. That's right, Frank. And they absolutely smashed the the, the, the TV stations. They overspent and Parry had a boat, you know, and they just – Bond had a boat, you know, they just blew the whole industry up. So David Fairful again bought NBN3 to us, $37 million we paid for that. What was it earning? I can't remember, but it was it was the largest – Highest rating TV station in the Channel 9 network. And TV stations in those days generated a lot of cash. So that we went along, we went along, and things were going very well. And then all of a sudden we arrive up there one day and management tells us digital TV's coming. So they told us it's going to cost us $30 million. We sort of nearly all fall off our, fell off our seats. And then the boys went back and did some more homework and found out, and people listening to this will, will remember too, when you're sitting at home, very rarely do you lose your picture on your TV. Mm. So we owned our own transmitters and translators from Gosford to the Gold Coast because that was the, the northern. Bought the hard assets again. Yeah. So we spent another $30 million and put infrastructure from Sydney to Gosford and Gold Coast to Brisbane. In the meantime, Comindy Co spent $270 million putting a cable in inland from Melbourne to Brisbane and an offshoot to Sydney. So we'd spent 30 and gone Sydney to Brisbane. And then we did a tie-up with Wind Television to go from Cairns to Melbourne. That's the Gordon, Gordon family? Yeah, yeah. And then in the meantime, when it was enough traffic, we went out to Tamworth or we went to Wagga or wherever. So we did all this for about $60 million, And as I said, the other people had spent 270 Wow. Time went along and then... Michael Simmons, as you mentioned, thought with the digital and the network we had that we could start up a telco business. It was difficult going. Great idea. Yeah. It took a while to get going though. But as as an investment for Sol Pattinson, in the meantime, we sold off NBN Television, which we paid $37 million. We sold that for two fifty. Then we had SP Telemedia, which That's you, right. you mentioned, David yep. Teo. We put those two companies together. And when you look at it now, for $37 million, we own 12.5% of a $12 billion company. And David was TPG? Yeah. And yep. he provided low-cost access to basically the emerging internet? Yeah. And you put those together and there you have it. And is that your best ever investment? Um. Be hard to beat. It's going from thirty-seven <laughs> million to twelve and a half percent of twelve billion. Um, New Age's been a wonderful, wonderful story. It's a dirty word this day, coal mining, but the cash that New Hope has generated been enormous. Oh, unbelievable! We'll come back to New Hope. Yeah, let's, okay. let's finish on the telcos. Yep, yep. The merger with TPG, and then it's had another offshoot, and David's gone up to Singapore. Yeah, to us, we're now, yeah. and at the same time, the Australian TPG has merged with Vodafone. 
So you've effectively in Australia become the third yeah. and now out of it you're also a player in Singapore, probably the fourth at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's becoming an international business that keeps going. Well, David's, David's a very smart operator and he had vision, he's Malay, so he, he knows that. Part of the world. Part of the world very well. And again, we're going to be the lowest cost producer up there, so we'll do well. And you retained your shareholding in the domestic company, yep. TPG. David's not there now. He's running the Singapore. Right. Is it got a great future? Yeah, yeah. We've been handbraced since the um, the pandemic. I think we've done about a hundred million dollars last year just on overseas um, visitors and, and students not coming, particularly people coming out of Europe. Everybody knows the Vodafone brand, so when they come to Australia, they get a Vodafone SIM card. So that, that has some impact on us. But again, we were been held up for two years by the ACCC. And in the meantime, Optus and Telstra had, had spent all this money on infrastructure. So we're, we're a long way behind them, but I think they've announced in the press in the last couple of days that we've got 85% coverage in some of the cities now. So we're going to get there. And you'll be the price disruptor like David has always been or TPG has. And you'll get your fair market share. See, we've got the infrastructure. We've got better backhaul than anybody else. But we've just got to get this, you know, the infrastructure in place. And 5G, you're excited about that? Yeah, David, David said for a long time how much different people will notice with the speed of it. And Singapore, you've got a reasonably big holding in the Chewis yeah. investment or company up there. David's very excited about that? Yeah. Again, it's been a difficult because he can't get up there to, to put his footprint on it a bit more, but we've got some very good people running it. And I'm, I'm hoping it, I usually go five or six times a year because we've got some other business interests up there. So I'm looking forward to going up in February and having a look around and talking to the guys up there. They've started well, it looks like. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're off to a run. So. Yeah. But again, we had to start from scratch and um, I've got to be careful what I say here, but you're, you're dealing with Singapore Inc. up there, which is a Temasex, and they haven't made it very easy for us. Okay. Well, if you if you break <laughs> that down, you're going to do very well. <laughs> Get over those first few hurdles. Okay, let's go to coal. It's interesting what you say about coal and you've done incredibly well. Long history, Indonesia, New Hope, Ackland and through the Hunter Valley here. And we all know the issues with coal. We've just had the COP26, interesting name for a gathering, and coal had a bit of a, a reprieve or, or a bit of a win. They should have called it COP400, the 400 <laughs> private jets that all flew in. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was the biggest gathering. All, all these people trying to worry about um, climate change and they've all got their own plane. None of them went on a bloody domestic plane. No. Crazy, no. crazy. And, and they, they <laughs> arrive for two days and then they're out. The whole thing keeps going. It's quite an amazing situation. But you did mention before that you talked about analogue and digital. Now, that was a commercial outcome, but you were faced with a change. And it's not much different this time. Coal, as you, I've heard you say, needs a place for quite a while. But in the end of the day, your grandkids or whoever – will probably not live in a coal-based world for their power. I could be wrong there, but that's the way the world's heading. How do you see that and what role do salt bats have and how do you handle it? Because it's a dual front for you. It's a very good business that produces a lot of money, but a lot of investors these days have already said, well, we can't invest in that. And so the asset may never be worth what the cash flows are. Yeah. So from that point of view, how do you handle that? It's a, it's a question with about six or seven fronts on it, but- <laughs> I don't know. The, the, to me, the question is still out. They're still building high-energy, low-emission power stations as we speak. So they're going to need coal. And the other point that I the, – all the interviews I do with people on the press and the TV, they won't print. There's 14% of the world still not has – have got running water or power. 
that's 14%. So one-seventh of our population is still has no energy. So, And most of those people are in Asia. There's no gas or no coal in Asia. We have the cleanest, cleanest coal in Australia and plenty of gas. At this stage, it appears they're going to be winding down. I, th- I don't think there's going to be many more approvals. Our operations will be finished by 2038. So 2050 for, for New Hope is, is not, not a problem for us. So anyway. your sunset's 38? Yeah, unless, unless we buy some other assets with, with mine, uh, longer mine life. But we're still going to need some sort of base power. I don't know whether you saw the figures the other day. If we all had electric cars at the moment, how much increased electricity needs, Incredible. To, needs to charge We're racing those. towards it, yeah. but we need more power yeah. to do it. So, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one to answer. On the facts that we're f- facing at the moment, there's a push to end coal and gas. Mm. But where all that ends up, I, I could give you a – And you're, you're holding in New Hope is 39.9 or yeah. 8, close yeah. to that. Does that what does that mean for your accounting and and your control of it? How do you see? No, we that? still we still control it. Our cost base is virtually zero. You have over the years has paid out over a billion dollars just in special dividends. Incredible, you know. And at the moment, coal is one hundred and sixty US dollars a ton. It was two sixty dollars a ton a month ago. In July last year, it was fifty dollars a ton US. Incredibly volatile. So the money Whitehaven and New Hope and the Ann Coal are making at the moment is incredible. And this is the cleaner coal around the world, yeah, and we all yeah, know that coal's yeah. got a role to do this transition, and it can't just turn off overnight. It's ridiculous. But places like India, China, much bigger populations, coal's nowhere near as clean. Do you have a view on what happens with them, or will it be just – this is more of a political question about how world coal goes, how they wean themselves off their energy source they've got at the moment, because we all know that – Especially the Indian coal is not great for the environment. No, no, nor is the Chinese coal. No, and, that's, and that's right. what we've just seen in the last period of time when they've cut us out of importing, whether it's wine or coal or whatever it is, into China. They've been burning their own dirty coal. So they're actually not. Too it's an worried. ongoing disaster. No, they keep turning yeah, yeah. their production off. Yeah. They're, not, of they're not the too pollution. worried about the pollution. They just keep burning their own coal. Like, and they didn't even turn up to the to Glasgow. So I don't know. I don't know. As I said before, I don't know where it all ends up. No, it's difficult. And, th- and then they decide to do some kind of loose deal with the US and cut everyone else out. Yeah, Strange yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's keep going with it, with the different assets. You, you've done one of your biggest deals recently. In fact, a lot of things have happened at Souls. You're not slowing down no, this, no, no, no. despite, despite – I've got good, good people up there. That, yeah. You've been with Milton for a long time. Yeah. Been on I, was the board. Actually, I was actually chairman of Milton. That's right, yeah. 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 And yeah. you owned a percentage of yeah, it. Yeah, But now you've decided to – Merge with Milton and no longer will it be an LIC, comes into the sole company. Why would you do that? Because you've already got your own investment portfolios within Souls and you've got a number of positions in different various fund managers and you build up a terrific business. But now you bid this and it's a big one. It's a big, it's a big okay, deal. Again, okay, they've got good people down there and it gives us the option of not having $3.5 billion or $4 billion got to four billion at one stage, all in the Australian market. It's going to give us an option. And we're not going to be as dependent as Milton was. And in LIC, if you well know, what I call the older ones, have always been very dependent on paying out somewhere between 90 and 100% of their profits out to, to shareholders. Whereas we bring that into souls, we can put some money into, into overseas equities, probably put some money into private equity. 
And just diverse a little bit, but with the with the investments that we've got in souls, Milton shareholders are going to continue and probably get an extra dividend than what they would have got normally because they've got the diversica- diversification of the portfolio of souls behind them as well. So it works for them just like it has for Brickworks over the years. So you've had your own investment portfolios that you got in souls, large caps, small caps. Does Milton basically come in under those, does it? Is that how it's going to work? There'll all be one. It'll all be one. Obviously, it'll be different cost bases because obviously the Milton uh, shares have all been set at a different cost base, but they'll be just run by the same people. And with your other investments, you've got BKI, you've got Pengana, and, a, and a, there's five or six of them. Do they come under the same scrutiny as what you're saying there? Milton was a lot bigger. Yeah, yeah. Or, or do you have ambitions? No, Milton, the, Milton, the Milton portfolio now will, will be run internally by Brendan and his team who are in the Milton team. BKI is a, is a separate investment. That that came out of when Brickworks bought out Bristol, we needed to raise some equity. And and, and again, I mentioned before, the, the, the dividend income out of Brickworks. So we raised a few more dollars and floated that off into the market at $180 million. It's now worth about $1.3 billion. It's been a so tremendous success. Yeah. So that's a, a, a smaller investment that we've got. I don't know whether going forward, the things like Pengana and Ironbark and those things, whether they'll all come into, into one, but we've just got to see how that all plays out. How it pans yeah. out. And a question that we talked about before we started the podcast was, you're in an unusual position. You've got a big investment house and you take positions and you back people. You don't necessarily own assets 100%, so you're definitely – an investor, and we talk about Berkshire Hathaway, but you're also sitting on boards, helping make decisions. You're an, also an operator. In your own eyes, what are you, investor or an operator? <laughs> well, I keep saying- Because you succeeded at both. Yeah, yeah, some people ask me and I, I say, well, I can't really be an expert on on one particular type of asset, but I, I hope I know quite a bit about most of the investments that we're, we're in. And we've always had that position on boards. It's given us some influence on those, those companies. When I think it's important when you own 30 or 40 or 50% of a company, we should have some sort of representation on that board. And we've had some great relationships with all the people that we've worked with. We're common sense people. We, we don't go in and, and tell Lindsay Partridge how to, how to run Brickworks or the people on the Brickworks board how to sit at the table. So you're, you see yourself as an operator, but a facilitator for the people on the ground. Is that a good way of putting it? Oh, I, don't, I don't know how I, <laughs> how I can describe myself. But, uh, yeah, obviously probably an investor and probably basically that. Uh, and, and an investor that. first, yeah. operator second. Yeah. And today, you uh, how many boards do you sit on? Don't tell the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's seven at the moment. And chair of? Three. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's quite a load. Yeah. yeah. Um, we saw your- Yeah, but I've been doing it all my life. People don't realise that within Sol Pattinson- API came out of our own pharmacy business. New Hope was 100% owned by Sol Pattinson. The TV station was 100% owned by Sol Pattinson. So we floated all these businesses out into the market. So I'm not doing any more now than what I was doing 25 years ago, except we've probably got better people running them. No, than, than outside the, you know, the Souls group. We've got some very sure. good people specialised in Specialised people. Yeah, yeah. But it does provide great variety as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's been, a, again, apart from investing in good people, we've been able to pick businesses that are, well, most important thing, they've got to generate good cash. But they've always been able to produce cash. And if one's down, the other two or other four are up, or one, two down, the other three or four are up. So Now, here's a question. Now, you brought up the word cash. It's quite interesting. Because when I, when I was starting out in funds management, 
my, my mentor was, and boss was Jeff Wilson. The first month I was with him, every day we go through the cash flow of a company. <laughs> and he said, this is, this is what you're really investing in, the cash flow. Recently, I listened to a live wire production by Hold Cell, which is, a, which is a show they run every day. And one of the young investors, they were asking them, if you want to pick a 10-bagger, which Soul Pats has been over, over the period you've been there, what do you do to identify it? And one of the participants in the show said, well, the first thing you do is not look at the cash flow. And he was referring to the ability of new age companies in the technology world that you need the investment up front to get the market share. Can you reconcile your view that cash is king with that attitude? And would you be able to pick a 10-bagger in that environment if that's what you've got to look for? Again, you know, you and I have come from a different era um, and I, we've all, this is the second one of these we've been through. We went through the tech boom there. That, But I think we've all probably made big mistakes in, in not appreciating what things like Microsoft and Apple and Facebook have done and not investing in them, even though they're overseas companies. You know, I think we've all made a mistake there as, as, as good investors. But, but coming back to your point, in companies like Sol Pattinson, the investment companies I mentioned to you, our shareholders are dependent on dividends. So we have to buy stocks or companies that generate income or good cash flows. So we then can pay out those dividends to our shareholders. And I think, again, that's been our success. You mentioned the company's been listed since 1903. We've never missed paying a dividend. That's through the GFC, war years, depression. In the last 25 years, I think we're the only ones now that put our dividend up each half. So- there's some proof in the pudding there. And just with Salt Pats, I think you had around 30,000 shareholders pre yeah, the Milton yeah. merger. You're about 55 now. So there's a, quite a few people would depending <laughs> on you guys <laughs> for those dividends. Well, you, you that's know, what they're there for. As you know, you've been around the investment company. Majority of the older people have their money in something they can understand, like an LIC, or, you know, and they're de- very dependent on that income. And unfortunately, this time last year, they, they all got smashed because – some of the banks didn't pay a dividend. The BHP, I oh, know BKO, for example, is going to make more than this half that made the whole year last year because we've had these increases in dividends. Yeah, so. quite remarkable. It's been an incredible story. But just just before we leave the companies that you you floated out, you said before you had all these assets in house, then you float them out. Recently, there was Round Oak, which is yeah. base metals play copper, nickel, and so on. You decided not to progress with that with the float. Some colour on that. I mean, it's pretty recent, and, and you've said, yeah, given the market, we're not yeah, going. I've got to be regarded what I say here. We've we've, we've, we've recently um, had some good drill results, and the market. There's been a lot of IPOs on the market. We just probably thought, well, maybe not the right time to to do it. We can take it in house again, and again, it's generating copper. Copper's gone from two dollars ten a pound to four dollars fifty a pound. It's generating. I think I think we we got seventy five million dollars out of that company last year and made one hundred and eighty. EBITDA. So we've just put that on hold. We've gone and got a couple of extra directors, give us a bit more more guts in that side of the thing. But it's another investment that I'm very confident in years to come or grow. And, and I'm very confident on things like copper and some of these uh, metals that we're going to need going forward. It's a bit like coal. They're not allowing people to, to a license for another coal, a copper mine or another zinc mine. It's but, that, but those, those products are in huge demand in the new world, especially the battery world. Well, we've got to ask ourselves, if people are not going to approve all these projects, what's, what's going to happen to these? Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, but tell me, how did you go about putting Round Oak together? 
where did that come from? Someone bought us the assets up at Cloncurry to start with, and we've just grown from there. We bought the Jaguar asset, which is a Western Australian asset. Again, we've got good people there, but for a while we didn't have the, the right people in the job. But, you know. And when, when did those assets come to you? When, did the, when were they presented? Ooh, I'd say was the market in a lull? Yeah. It's, it's been very yeah. strong recently. Yeah, yeah. And we have we had struggled for a few years with purely and simply because of commodity prices, and also when you're opening mines, you're sinking cash into it. Sure. So yeah, and were the words of your uncle ringing your ears? You buy when things are low, and you'll well, prosper later right. on. That, was, right. was that philosophy being yeah. played out there? Yeah, and, and interesting. Everybody's now trying to raise money for these sorts of projects, but no one was raising money two or three years ago when they should have been. So these assets two or three years ago could now be producing. So what's happening now, people are raising money at the top of the market, then going away to build an asset. By the time the asset's ready to develop, you'll probably find the copper price has gone down again. Yeah. So we, we, we're funny animals. We're funny animals. To get People will throw up, see Sandfire, what did they raise? A billion and a half or something. It's interesting because Buffett always says, if you were a buyer of an asset – do you want it to be going up in price or do you want it to be down? And uh. if you're buying a house or something you believe in, you say, well, the cheaper I can get it, the better. Yeah. But people in the market like to buy things on the up. But let's go back to what you said before, which is a really relevant part at the moment because it's the evolution of the world and Australia is playing a role in it. These base metals are key. You sounded like in the long run, you're embracing that. We've talked about how coal might be a sunset industry over a very long period, whether it be copper, nickel, zinc, these products, these base metals, you're quite bullish on? Yeah. And again, if you believe all the facts and figures that are being presented to us, you know, electric cars, all these types of things, you know, um, are going to need base metals and iron ore, all wind turbines, all the steel that goes into these sorts of things. That, you know, it's just, again, um, if it, well, it's just been passed if they go ahead and build all this infrastructure in America. They're going to need a lot of steel and they're going to need a lot of things over there. To- it's it's a, almost a mini industrial revolution yeah, in some ways, isn't yeah. it? People are rebuilding yeah. from ground up. And when you look around the world, the underground rail systems in America and London have been there for a long, long time mm. now. There's a lot of infrastructure that's getting tired yep. and needs replacing. And on top of that, as you said, there's 14% of the world, which trying to yeah. do it, it's over a billion people that have got to be brought into the modern world. So – it could be a 50-year kind of cycle. <laughs> it, it could be a cycle like your uncle went through in the 50s yeah, and 60s yeah. where it went for a long time. As you know, we've been around a long time. Something always comes from left field that knocks something. But the way we're looking at the moment, I think commodities and base metals have got a very bright future. And Australia, a bright future, given we've grown up on that, ag products and then mining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, um, having rural properties, agriculture is very, very good at the moment. And again, we need to feed the world. We're able to do that. I'm not sure how we go government-wise. I think we've, we've highlighted what's happened with these lockdowns with some of these premiers that you've had walking down here today, the number of empty shops. It's, it's dispiriting, isn't it? Yeah, this uh, lockdown, uh, well, Sydney CBD, where we're sitting today, a lot of people haven't come back. And what we're hearing the last few days in, in, the, in Europe, some of these countries are going back into lockdown. Yeah, I don't know, but genuinely, we're we're a great country. We you know we haven't always been well managed. <laughs> no, no, we got I got a f- properties on the Lachlan River at Cowra, and it's in flood, and 
Um, they've been talking about putting a, extending the wall on the dam for years, same as Warragamba Dam. So we've got all this water that's just been, we're not, we're not, we're not, not using it no, well. not utilising it. Water's a valuable yeah, asset. It's yeah. another one. So let's talk about the market. We've talked about the real world, yeah. some, some of the um, sectors. The market, the US market's very high. As you, One of your key things is you're an investor, as you said. The Aussie market hasn't performed that well relative, but it's still up. What happens over there? You've, you've been in charge of salt pads for 23 years now, I think. The next 20-odd years, because you always invest in the long term. I've heard you say when we build a new brick kiln, it's for 40 or 50 years, and that's how you think. In this period and well beyond your tenure at Salt Pats, how do you think the share market goes? Well, if history repeats itself, we've got to have a few cycles. Some people haven't got back into the market since the GFC because they thought it was… A lot of retail investors. They thought it was too expensive. And again, as we mentioned earlier, we're in this environment where interest rates, none of us, no one in the world has been through this period before of, of low interest rates. But there appears at the moment to be some rise in inflation. Talking to people and, and reading articles, uh, salaries and wages are, some people are offering 10 or 15% increase in salaries and wages. Interesting, Lindsay Partridge was in um, America in June looking at our brick operations. And if you go to a McDonald's and have a, a cup of Coke, it's usually got the McDonald's branding on it, on the cardboard, out, instead of having the Coca-Cola logo on it. They had, if you come in for an interview, we'll give you $100. If you're successful, we'll give you a $1,000 bonus. Incredible. So, and the and same things that we're hearing here, people are giving at sign-on bonuses to people. I might be wrong, but I think it's going to be a while before we get migration coming back here to help us on the, on the labour front. Well, I've heard Lindsay speak, and he refers to that now, and he's talked to – well, he obviously specialises in the brick business and residential yeah. buildings. And he said, you've got to temper your growth outlook. We're not going to grow as quick because immigration is going to be slow for a few years. Immigration's been a great benefit for Australia. So you'd like to see the government to get back on the front foot and get that going again? We need immigration. As, as we mentioned before, agriculture, the, the crops need to be picked and you know we need people here to, to work. But I get, in this era we're in now, we've got to be careful. We, we bring people in, one, that have got a skill, and two, that have been jabbed because we, yeah, right, yeah. we can't afford to have people in here again that spread the virus again. Yeah, definitely. So when you came into Salt Pats, it was 84 you took the chair in 98. You were the Pattinson-Milner lineage. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before that you're slightly older than you used to be, like we all are. <laughs> D- just run me through, and you've got you've got your son, Tom. Yeah. He, he's on the investment side, but he also sits on the Salt Pats board and, and a few other boards with you. Terrific young guy, learning his craft and done a good job at BK, BKI. How do you see that unfolding? Do, do you see – Yourself having uh, your own timeline, I, I, I can't remember how old Jim was when he handed over, but he was probably in his 70s uh, and then you took over at the, uh, as chair. Should we expect the Milners to continue on in the future and is that how you see it? Well, I'd like to say while well, I'm, I'm still agile and able to do things for a few more. I'm not writing you off, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, know, uh, I know you've got a, a fair bit left in the a tank. Few, a few more years ahead of me. But you, but you must think about what the next step is. Oh, yeah, obviously, yeah, all boards, succession planning. And it's no, no different to who's going to sit and something happen to Todd Barlow, who's the the Abbott Souls, or something happening here tomorrow. You know, you've got to have something in place. And obviously the board will, the board will decide who they think is the next best fit to take over from me. And whether they choose Tom, that'll be up to them. And obviously, obviously I'll stay out of it, but. 
But is that, and that that's the correct answer and the way it should be yeah. in a public. And I, mind you, I've never asked him whether he wants to do the job either. But <laughs> but that's you know, one. He's got to want to do it. And two, the present members of the board, or not the present the board members at that time, will then have to say whether is is he the best candidate or is Joe Blow a better candidate. And, and as I said, that's the that's one hundred percent the right way yeah. to go about it. And I wouldn't expect anything less. But rowing the other way for a second, just personally, given. The handing down over the years to the uh, Milners, yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be a proud day if if Tom or one of the family members, whoever it is, was the next leader of the of the group. Yeah, it would be, it would be, I guess, fifth generation is not. They used to say the first two make it, and the third blows it up. I'm the fourth, well, so, so, so I'm over that. <laughs> but you know, like obviously, the the more generations we go on, there's probably more pressure. But again, it's you know, depend on what others want. Yep. Okay. And Tom. It, a great guy, as I said, very capable. He loves yeah. the investment game. Yeah. No, he's done well. He's done well. Still learning, of course. <laughs> he's still well, he's only in his early forties. So yep. yeah. Yeah, we're all we're all still learning. Yeah. So getting to this period, the twenty-three years at the top of the of the, the corporate structure, it's grown an enormous amount. It's a big company, something to be very proud of. But what what if you start thinking about your legacy? Because your uncle Jim left an incredible legacy. You know, we, we interviewed him for Masters of the uh, Market uh, uh, uh. and what, what he built was quite incredible. He diversified, he did it his way. If we sat here and, I don't know, in 10 years' time, speaking to Jerry Harvey recently, Jerry said, I asked him, when are you going to finish up? You're 81, Jerry. He's got a few years on all of us. And he said, well, I was speaking to Rupert Murdoch and Rupert's 90 and he said he feels okay. So there's <laughs> that reason I can't be 90. You're a funny man, Jerry. If, but yeah. When the curtain does come down and you'll make that decision, what, what's the legacy, that the Rob Milner legacy on something that's been alive uh, since 1903? We were only talking about this yesterday at lunch because one of our, Rob Westfall, retired after 16 years on the board. And one thing I can say that souls have never done anything that's not above board. We've never insider traded. We've never done any of those sorts of things and, and – I think if I'd like to be remembered as a, as a genuine person that's always put shareholders and the company first and and not myself or our fellow board members, we've, we've always towed the line and look, always look at someone in the eye and say that because there's a lot of people over the years have insider traded and made a lot of money that they shouldn't have made. Now, we can hold our hat and say that we've what we've done is we've done it the right way. And, and that philosophy, that value system, do you think – and the shareholder mentality, do you think that's come about because you are shareholders? You're investors in your own products? Obviously. If you've got a large chunk of money in something, you've got to appreciate that more than someone that doesn't have any. And this you know, is what staggers me. You get some of these people these days saying, one, you shouldn't stay on the board too long, and two, if you've got too many shares, you shouldn't be on the board. Like, and then you get look at I look at try and look at most of the annual reports every year. I'm still staggered by the number of directors that don't own any shares. Like they turn up and get their director's fees, and or, or they've got options that oh. that put money down for, <laughs> and leave their bloody board papers on the table. You know. Like, yeah. So you think that's very important to is. anyone involved yeah. in the company? To, You've got to have some skin in the game, which you always have. Yeah, yeah. And is that where the the dividend growth? and focus is all important because there's not many companies these days that when you look at the Soul's annual report, it's got all these wonderful charts that go in the right direction, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but they're all about returns to shareholders, yeah, which yeah. is, as we talked about earlier, 
something that's been lost a little bit. We're, we're divorced from the yeah. companies as investors. Yeah. yeah, as I said, I think having skin in the game and having good people that understand that shareholders are number one. They're not number one. The directors aren't number one, but the shareholders are number one. And, and when you sit down or the board does, as you said, you'll step aside because of interests. Do you think they'll successfully, that, that philosophy, that DNA within the company, the next group of leaders will have that built into them? Do you think you've been able to impart that on the key people around you? Yeah, I think Todd's done a great job in employing and gathering the people around him that he has. They're all young, um, all about Tom's age, good, honest, genuine people that respect the company. You know, and they're, uh, they're not out to what they can do for themselves. Out. They enjoy their job and they enjoy working there. And they're more than happy to contribute to the long-term strategy of the company. Uh, and what does uh, retired Rob Milner look like? Back in Cowra? <laughs> My wife. <laughs> I, I, Tiggy Fullen did an interview with me some years ago. She asked what. I was, was I ready to retire? And I said to her, I said, my wife doesn't want me at home yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've just had three months at home when we're in that lockdown. So, no, you know, things will change, obviously. You get to the end of your life. But but you, you still enjoy that oh, farm life, that yeah. freedom. Yeah, I, I enjoy going. I try and go back there a couple of times every month, every couple of months. So, no, I, I enjoy that. We've, I've got the family interest to, to look after as well. Terrific. Well, it's been great. With great hour, really enjoyed it. It's been a long time. But I just want to say congratulations on what you've achieved. Good luck in the future. And I'm a bit sentimental. I'd like to see a succession plan where the, Mil- <laughs> the Milner name lives on. Oh, well. So I'm, I'm barracking for Tom. Right. Go, Tom. Okay. <laughs> All right, always good to talk to you, Matt, and thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs>